Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Well, good morning, Oasis Church Online. Man, I'm so glad that you are here with us today. It's week three of questions that God asks, so let's talk about it. Every year around springtime, there's these little critters that come out, and they're blood-sucking critters. We know them as mosquitoes. Now, I say springtime. If you live on the southern hemisphere, they are all the time. And whenever I start getting bit by mosquitoes, I always come back to this one question. When I get to heaven, God, I want to know why you created mosquitoes like what are they good for like why did you take so much time in creating them and design them did, did, did adam did he name them in the garden of eden or, or were they post-fall they had to be post-fall but there's nothing good about them they're pure evil i'm like there's not one redeeming thing about a mosquito it spreads malaria and they're blood sucking they're annoying so when i get to heaven i'm gonna ask god god why did you create mosquitoes now let me ask you anybody else ever had one of those questions you see something something happens and you want to do that God when I get to heaven I need some clarity on this when I get to heaven I'm going to ask God about it I think we've all done it we've all been here but can I give you something completely different to think about could it be that God is sitting in heaven right now watching you watching me all throughout the week and he is thinking what on earth are they doing What's he doing? What, what's she thinking? Like, no, 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 no. Why are they doing that? I tell you what, when they get up here, I'm going to ask them all about it. Here's the truth for today. I, I know that we have a lot of questions that we want to ask God, but I want you to hear me this morning. What are you going to do with the questions that God asks you? Let me say that again. What are you going to do with the questions that God asks you? Lucky for you and I here today, we have a conversation that is recorded in Scripture. It's toward the end of the book of Job, and there is a conversation that I want to draw your attention to. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go and turn with me to the book of Job, Job chapter 40. I want to read six verses, I want to read a couple verses, and I want you to, uh, to, to follow along with me. Job chapter 40, verse 1, the Bible says this, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Listen to what Job says. I spoke once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. The Lord answered to Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. This is bad news for him right now. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like this? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. Who is proud and bring him low and tread down wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Listen, I don't think that there is another book in Scripture like the book of Job. The writings, the issues it deals with, the questions that are here, the good, the evil, the right, the wrong, even the suffering we find in it. If you've ever read the book of Job, then I want to take you, if you've never read the book of Job, then I want to, I want to take just a moment and give you just a short synopsis over it. The book of Job starts off with three people, Job, Satan, and God. But when you get to the very end of this book, 
Satan has disappeared, and all we have left is Job and God. In Job chapter 1, it kind of give you the short synopsis of it. It's almost as if God is holding a meeting, and the angels, they're coming kind of to and fro. They come and they give a report. They give an update about their mission or whatever they've been on, really what they've learned. And in Job chapter 1, Satan himself shows up, and God asks him a simple question. Where you been? Satan says, I've been here, I've been there, I've been everywhere. The Bible says I've been to and fro. And it's in that moment that God says, have you noticed my boy Job? Man, there ain't nobody else like him. He's righteous, blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he shuns, he always turns away from evil. And Satan comes back, and there's a little bit of a dialogue that takes place, and basically Satan says, well, look, man, I'd be a great man of faith if you gave me everything I wanted, if you protected me, if you took care of me, if you did all of that for me, of course I'll be a great faith. Then Satan says, but I tell you what, you take all that stuff away from him, and I promise you, Job will curse you. God, for whatever reason, he takes the challenge and he says, look, you can do whatever you want to do with Job, but you can't mess with Job. And over the next few chapters, Job endures probably the worst, most horrific, devastating set of events. And it's almost as if it happens all at once. All of a sudden, a, a servant comes running in and tells him that he's lost all of his cattle. Another servant comes running in and says, hey, you lost all your sheep. And then another servant comes in and says, look, you lost all your camels. And then worst of the worst happens. They come in, they tell them that all your children are gone. You see, they were at a party, and there was a great storm that, that came in, and all of a sudden the house collapsed, and it killed everybody in the house. And Job's response to everything that has happened is he falls on his face and prays a prayer that most of us know. Look at it in the Bible, Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, he tore his clothes, he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job did not sin, and look at it one more time, read it with me, or charge God with wrong. Hey, I want you to say that last part with me because we're going to come back to it, or charge God with wrong. Job said, everything I have is a gift, and if God has given it, I'm thankful for him, and if he takes it away, look, I'm just blessed and grateful and thankful for the time that I had it. Job keeps his faith. Job keeps his faith. And that's how we close out chapter 1. Then we open up to chapter 2 and we look at it. And look, it is almost the exact same script. Job chapter 2, verses 3, it says, The Lord, and Satan, have you considered, Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears God, turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but only, only, only spare his life. Satan then says, Everyone is faithful as long as they feel good. But I promise you, if you touch his health, if you make him hurt, God, I'm telling you, Job will curse you. God takes the challenge, says, hey, get after it, but whatever you do, spare his life. So Satan attacks Job with these things called bulls and then broke out all of his skin. Look, I'd love to show you a picture, but they're absolutely disgusting. They're gross. And here was the worst part. There was nothing that he could do anything about it. There was nothing he could do. There was no remedies. There was no fixes. The Bible tells us that, that he takes his broken pottery and he starts scraping and all of a sudden this pus and this, all this stuff says, all right, 
oozes out. It's gross, people. It'll make you gag. And he's sitting here in ashes, and he's scraping all these bowls off of them. So get the picture here. This man, Job, has lost everything. He's lost his kid. He's lost his sheep. He's lost his cattle, his camels, everything. And now he is being plagued with bulls. And then his wife is going to come in and give him some, some great counsel and great wisdom. Look at verse 9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Listen to this. Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall not we also receive evil? And all this, God, Job did not sin with his lips. So here is Job. Everything's gone. All of his possessions, all of his family, his health, and yet through it all, he holds fast to his faith. And then the Bible tells us that some of Job's friends show up. Three friends show up. Now listen to me. When you read Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it seems like, it appears like these guys are some of the best friends in the whole wide world. Like, like we see this and we think, man, that's what we want, but I want you to know here today, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but my prayer for everybody at our church, my prayer for everybody that is listening to this, I pray that all of us here, I pray that that, that God would protect you from friends like Job's. Hey, listen to me. I'm praying this over your kids, that God would protect your kids from friends like Job, that they would be surrounded by a different type of people. They show up, and for the next 30-something chapters, they're trying to convince Job. Listen, they're trying to convince Job that there has to be some secret sin in your life, Job. If all of this calamity has happened, if all of this stuff has happened, you lost everything. You, you did something. There's got to be some secret sin in your life. Man, you need to be honest. Won't you come and talk to us and tell us about it? And I love this. Every time Job refuses to believe that and accept that. But after a while, something happens. After a little bit of time, something begins to shift in Job. You remember earlier, we, we said it out loud in Job chapter 1, verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. If you have a New Living Translation uh, version, it says, In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. In King James Version, in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Another translation says, In spite of everything, Job did not sin or accuse God of doing wrong. He didn't then, but now something's happened. And Job begins to talk to God. Matter of fact, many commentators believe that basically Job is going to sue God. Now, now, I know what you're thinking. Like, did you just say sue? Like, he's going to sue him? Like, you so, sue McDonald's for hot coffee and you didn't have the label on there? Like, sue, sue God? That's exactly right. It seems pretty absurd to all of us here today, but not to Job. After all, desperate times calls for desperate measures. Hey, listen to some of these verses in Job chapter 13, verse 15. The Bible says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Three verses later says this, Behold, now I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. In, in the New American Standard Version, Job chapter 19, verse 28, If you say, how shall we persecute him? And what pretext for a case against him can we find? Job 23, verse 4 says, I will present my case before him and fill my mouth with my argument. God, I'm going to take you to court. And I'm expecting you to show up, and I want you to give a report. I want you to explain yourself. I want you to explain your actions to me. I need to know why you did all of this to me. Job is demanding an audience with the Almighty. And the Bible tells us in Job chapter 38 that God shows up. 
family, listen to me for just a moment. There is only one thing more fearful than the absence of God, and that's the presence of God. Let me say that again. There is only one thing more fearful than the absence of God, and that's the presence of God. When God shows up, and in our text today, God shows up. I can't help but believe that Job chapter 38 is probably one of the most hair-raising, most goosebump-driven passages of Scripture that you read. Like, this is all man. I done messed up. I'm in a bad way right now. One of the scenes in all of Scripture, listen to what Job chapter 38, verses 1. The Lord answered to Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Can I translate translate that for for us here in southern Arkansas? God shows up and says, who's the big dummy? Who who are you? What are you thinking here? Here's your homework for the rest of the week. I want you to go back and read Job chapter 38 38 on it because it is absolutely humbling. The Bible says this, dress for action like a man in verse 3 of chapter 38. Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Job, surely you know this. Or who stretched the line upon it? Verse 6, what, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now look, I'm going to stop right here because you can keep on reading, but it only gets worse from here. But at this moment, I believe Job should just kind of quietly raise his hand and say, hey, look, my bad. I'm an idiot. I didn't know. I thought I knew. I'm sorry, I promise I won't do this again. When God is asking these questions, I don't believe that he's given Job an opportunity to respond or even answer this. I think God is just rattling off these questions one right after another, and I can't help but think the whole time that you're reading this, Job is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Look, I want you to know this. There is 41 verses in chapter 38, and it's question after question after question. Do you know what happens when you turn the page to to, to chapter 39? You get 30 more verses with all kinds of different questions for Job to answer. And then you turn to the the chapter 40, verse 1. Listen to what it says. And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. And here it comes. I'm like thinking like, Job, boy, you're on thin ice. You better do really, really good. You better get the answer right here. Listen to what Job says, family. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. I love how the New Living Translation says it. It says this, I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. But here's the thing. God wasn't done yet. God goes on to chapter 40, and he calls him out again. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like this? And here it is again, the rest of Job chapter 40. It's 24 more verses with God questioning Job. At this point, you're thinking like, look, man, we get the picture here. Like, when does this end? But here's the thing. You can turn to Job chapter 41, and here's the big shocker. You have 30 more, 34 more verses of questions. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. All these questions that God is asking Job is for a purpose and a reason. And they're meant to drive Job to a place and to a posture. Listen to what Job chapter 42 verse 1 says. And Job replied, out, replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things 
I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes, listen to this, to show my repentance. I think when we read this story, when we read the account of Job, I think there's two things we learn about the encounter between God and Job. I think the first one is this, if you're taking notes, I think in Job's eyes, God is far too small. In Job's eyes, from his perspective, God is too small, small, but I want you to know that it is impossible to comprehend the vastness, the largeness, the grandeur of God. You can turn over to the book of Isaiah and has some very descriptive passages of scripture in chapter 40, verses 12 and 22. Here's a couple of them. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven in a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like the tent to dwell in. Here's what I've noticed. We live in a world today where the abundance of a shallow views and a shallow concept of God are everywhere. And the thing that you need to know, and I need to know more than anything in this season of life, is we need to have a right perspective, a right biblical view of God. Not this little feeble attempt to make God on our level, not to bring him down so we can understand him. Hey, listen to me today. If your view of God is small and finite and teeny tiny, your response to him will be the exact same. Let me say that again. If your view of God is small, if your view of God is teeny tiny, if it's finite, if it's one of the smallest things, your response, how you respond to him is going to be the exact same. And I've thought about this concept a lot this week, and I believe that far too often we live like we have a small God. How we respond, how we live reflects that I don't have an accurate picture of the bigness and the, the largeness and the grandeur and the greatness of God. So let me ask you here this morning, be honest, how do you see God? What's your perspective? Is he big? Is he small? Can he take care of your problems or can he not? I think if we can be honest, I think we're a lot like Job here. Man, we have a, our view of God is, is far too small. I think the second thing that we see in the scripture is, is really just the opposite of what we just looked at. Not that, not that God's too small, but I think for Job, and I think for us a lot of times, Job was too large in his own eyes. I think a lot of times we're too big in our own eyes. John chapter 3 verse 30 gives us some important theology to live our lives by. The Bible says this, he must increase, but what does it say, church? But I must decrease. Let, let me say that again. He must increase in every area of my life, and I have to decrease in every area of my life. Hey, look, this is the goal for every believer. This is the goal for every Christian. This is the goal for every Jesus follower, is that in every area of your life and my life, we must become less that he can become more. I heard a story this week about a little girl, and they were on the way home from, from church. And a little girl turned to her mom and said, Mom, I, I, the, pe the preacher's sermon this morning kind of confused me. The mom said, oh, well, tell me, why, why is that? The little girl said, well, he said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? She said, of course it is, baby. He said, but he also said that God lives inside of us. Is that true, too? Again, the mom's response was accurate. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he lives inside of us. Well, said the girl, if God is bigger than us and he lives inside of us, listen to me, wouldn't he show through? If God is bigger than us, but he lives inside of us, then shouldn't God be showing through? What that little girl said in simple innocence is a great theological truth for you today. I'm curious this morning, 
Who's showing through, through most in your life? Is it you or is it the Lord? Here's what I hope. I hope that what happened to Job then is what happens to us today. I hope it brings us back to a right view, a right perspective of God. And more than that, I hope it brings us back to this thing called repentance. So now let's circle all the way back around at the very beginning. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God all these different, all these random questions. But here's what I believe. I don't know when we get to heaven if there's going to be a big long line over there with all these different people waiting to get their questions answered from back here on earth. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. But here's what I do know. I believe that there are two questions that you and I will have to give an answer to. And they are all about the Savior and they're all about your stewardship. Now, please give me just a little bit of grace here today. When you read the verses in Scripture, they're not in question form, but I want to pose them to you today in question form. And I believe God is going to come, and you're going to have to give an account to this question, these two questions, and it's this. What would you do with my son Jesus? And what would you do on earth with the time, the talents, and the treasures that he gave you? Let me say them two again. What would you do with my son Jesus? And what would you do with, on earth with your time, your talents, and the treasures I gave you. The first question determines your final resting place, a place called heaven or a place called hell. The second question determines your heavenly reward. So what'd you do with my son Jesus? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, listen to this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, listen to this, many on that day, many will come and say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them the worst news ever. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What did you do with my son, Jesus? I want you to know that the moment you took your first breath on planet Earth, you were destined to a place called hell. But I want you to know even better news is that Jesus makes all the difference. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, listen to this, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone, everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hey, I want you to know Jesus is the key. Always has been, always will be. And this morning, if you believe that God is moving you to move, move from death to life, to move into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that it is Romans 10, 9 and 10 is what you need to walk through. And man, if you make a decision to place your faith and trust in Christ here this morning, we want to hear about it. We want to celebrate with you. And we want to walk you through next steps of believer's baptism. So if that's you, do everything you can to get in touch with us here at Oasis Church through, through messenger, text message, local members. Hey, do whatever you can. We want to hear about it. And we want to celebrate with you. But I want to talk to the rest of us here. Man, I believe that there are a lot of people here today and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that this next one is so important for you. And it's what did you do on earth with the time, with your talents and the treasure that God gave you? Second Corinthians 5 verses 10 says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Listen to this, whether good or evil. Hey, you gotta give a response to how you lived your life here on earth. A lot of people believe you can just get saved and that's it. But I want you to know that hey, there's another side to this. And God says, hey, I gave you time. I gave you talents. I gave you everything for you to further my kingdom agenda. And you are going to have to give a response to that. So I'm just kind of curious over the last two weeks, what have you done with your time to further the kingdom of heaven? 
What have you done with your talents to further the kingdom of heaven? What have you done um, to, 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 in your life to further the kingdom of heaven? I can't help but believe that when you get to heaven, man, the Lord's going to ask you, maybe even with this season of life, during the COVID-19, man, I gave you two months, and I watched you from heaven to get you closer to me, to further my kingdom agenda, and the only thing you did was get closer to Tiger King of all things. Hey, listen, you are going to have to give an account. So here's what I want us to do right now as we get ready to end this message. I hope that at the very end of this, I hope you'll take some time. I pray that you spend some time in prayer, and I pray that however the Lord is moving over your life, whatever he is drawing you to, whatever he's stirring you to, man, I hope that you will move in that direction. I think for many of us, with the time and the talents that God has given us, it is going to be repentance. Because I don't know about you, but man, I find myself not stewarding my time and talents that God has given me really, really good in this season of life. And man, I'm going to have to give an account to that. So what I want to do is, man, I'm going to end this. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And man, I want to make an action plan for tomorrow. How can I further his kingdom agenda? Hey, whatever God is stirring on your heart, however God is leading you here this morning, would you be obedient to it? Hey, can I close this out in prayer here this morning? Father, we come to you today. And God, I thank you so much, Father, for the life of Job. And we learned so much for him. God, I pray right now that if we have this ideal that we have a small God, I pray that we would go back and we would read Job chapter 38 onward to see the largeness, the vastness, the greatness of God so we can get a right perspective of him. And Father, I pray that if in our own lives, if we are a whole lot bigger than God is, Father, I pray that there would be this opportunity of repentance where we come back and we say, God, it is all about you and it is not about me. God, I pray that in this next season of life, I pray over the next three days, four days, five days, Father, I pray that we steward what you have given us so good and and so well. So Father, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.